That's it, I think it's finally happened. At this point, we could hear about a dark, gritty reboot of the Thundercats, and I'd just be sitting there going, eh, figures. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, this is Rob, and in this episode, as promised, we're going to be talking about nothing but Power Rangers. So, of course, the big 2017 reboot of the long-running 1990s, and actually, it's still going, I know some of you may still, might find that a surprise, Power Rangers new episodes are still being made, uh, I forget what the current version of is being called, I think they're on the 20-something iteration of this Mighty Morphin saga. Uh, so we're, for this episode, we're going to be talking about a, of course, in-depth review of the new Power Rangers film, as well as a journey back in time uh, to the premiere of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series in the episode entitled Day of the Dumpster. Um, it's actually streaming, the entire Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series is streaming on Netflix, so I actually, in preparation for the new movie, I thought it would be fun to go back and uh, and rewatch that first episode. Actually, Freddie had mentioned to me beforehand that he had done the same, and I had been thinking about it, but I guess that was finally the push that I needed to actually go back and, and rewatch it, and uh, it, was, it was an interesting experience. So, let's jump right into my discussion of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Season 1, Episode 1, Day of the Dumpster. On August 28th, 1993, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers debuted on, I believe it was a Saturday morning on Fox Kids, and it was one of the big shows to really formulate that as a uh, as a block of programming, uh, and really kind of blow up, um, I guess, the Saturday morning, uh, the Saturday morning television lifestyle of uh, of kids back in the 90s. Believe it or not, younger people listening, um, this that was something that we did back in the early 90s as we woke up on Saturday morning early to watch our favorite shows because there was no Netflix, there was no DVR. Um, you could set a recorder for something on your VCR if you even know what that is. But um, <laughs> but Saturday morning was a thing. Then and, and for me personally, I didn't really watch Power Rangers uh, in the mornings on Saturdays. I watched it, um, I believe it was... 3.30, 4 o'clock or something, right after school, I'd come home and I'd rush to the TV be like, oh my god, Power Rangers is about to start. So uh, it was it was kind of an interesting experience to go back and uh, and revisit this episode for the first time. And I don't know if I've seen it since like since it, I was really in hardcore Power Rangers mode back in the early, early to mid-90s. Uh, but I may have watched this one episode once since then, but I don't really recall in general. So... Let's just go into this. So, watching this movie, you you get right from the and you heard it in the audio clip I just played from the opening theme. 
where Zordon's like, Alpha, recruit these teenagers with attitude. And it's so weird that to hear him say that, because if you watch the show, these people, these these teenagers don't really have attitude at all. Um, I mean, I'll get into that a little bit more, but they're, they're like really good kids. And to the fact that anybody thought these were teenagers with attitude was just such a marketing thing to, um, to appeal to the young kids watching. Be like, oh, I want to have attitude like these kids, even though they're all really solid role models. Uh, and of course, everything about this show is ridiculously 90s from the hairstyle, the way they act, the way they talk. Uh, Kimberly is like straight up a valley girl right out of, you know, clueless style valley girl. Um, and there's a lot of stereotypes with all of the, the characters. The uh, Jason is the white guy, part Asian, I believe. Uh, I don't remember if he's depicted as such on the show, but I, I, he, he kind of gives off that vibe at least. Um, and of course, he's teaching martial arts lessons because Power Rangers know Kung Fu. Uh, Zack is the black guy, so of course he's a dancer. Trini is Asian, so she's doing like yoga poses in the opening. And Kimberly is a teenage girl, so she's like, oh, as if, and that kind of thing. And of course, Billy's the nerd. So they they really do fit uh, fit all those niches really um, really closely. They don't they don't. There's no. There's no imagination really into the character types. They're, they're pretty much cookie cutter. Uh, this is your nerd. This is your jock. This is your cool guy. This is your, like, uh, you know, your, your popular girl, that kind of thing. Uh, and I apologize for if I sound a little stuffy. I've been fighting a cold this week. So if uh, I did, I, I noticed that I'm starting to sound like that a little bit. Um, I should probably explain that. So, um, of course, one of the things about the Power Rangers show that's most uh, most memorable, most talked about is the fact that it's all a lot of recycled footage. I didn't know this at the time watching this as a kid, but all the suited footage, that is the Rangers in their outfits doing battle and that kind of, basically whenever you don't see the American actors, that is footage from a, a Japanese show from the 70s called Super Sentai. And that is that series has sort of been the basis for the Power Rangers TV series kind of ever since. And they've, they've kind of just rejiggered that footage into, um, into you know, their own version for American audiences uh, and kind of making changes along the way. So the theme song, theme song still rocks. That was, that was fun for me to hear. And we'll talk about the movie later where they play the theme song briefly in the, the new movie, not the 95 movie. So this, this episode starts out, astronauts find a dumpster, and of course they are idiots and they open it up, and that's where Rita comes out, ah, after 10,000 years I'm free! All the dialogue in here is ridiculous, the, um, the bumbling bad guys interactions where Rita's basically abusing her, her, um, minions, Finster and Goldar and that kind of thing. Those are all really cheesy, but I wonder, uh, part of me wonders how much of that is lost in the translation. Because this is based on pre-existing footage, I wonder if that dialogue was even, was dumbed down even more for American audiences, if it, they were saying something completely different, because we've seen, I mean, in the original show, the Green Ranger and the White Ranger are not the same person, but for the American version, that Tommy Oliver character, and of course, I'm, this is not in this episode, was such a breakout uh, hit that they basically turned him into that character, turned Green Ranger into White Ranger, um, which is not the case in the original show. So I wonder how much of that is in the bad guy scenes and some of that is how much of the humor and the interactions, the dynamic is different based on 
based on the culture change and uh, and if you know if it maybe works a little better if you actually see that original footage in in the context for which it was intended. But the lip syncing, like oh my god, the lip syncing was ridiculous, and I I sort of recognized that it was like seemed a little weird whenever Rita would talk, but I didn't notice just how bad it is. Um, where she says something and her mouth does not match at all what she's trying to say. Uh, the sound effects during the fighting, of course, was a and stuff like that. Um, it, it's, really, it's really funny to see now the production values and how shoddy they are for this show, watching it as an adult versus as a kid, you didn't care about any of that shit. It was just a really fun superhero uh, mythology that they had where there were aliens and they were, you know, they had these these uh, giant robot cars that were looked like dinosaurs. And there was a lot of an interesting, there was an interesting mythos set up for the Power Rangers that regardless of the ridiculous comedy, regardless of all the other stuff, there, there's still something there. So you could see why that franchise has, has um, stuck around as long as it has to the point that now it's being reborn into a, you know, $100 million blockbuster. Um, so of course they're all all the rangers here are martial arts experts and gymnastics as experts etc and I, I think it's funny how they establish right out the gate that billy is still learning how to fight he doesn't really know um and of course it fits with the whole nerd stereotype that he's fulfilling here he doesn't really know how to fight you see in, in some of the early fights pretty much most of the stuff the combat in this episode he's just trying to avoid being uh, fighting especially when he's not in the suit because again this is the american footage and then you have Bulk and Skull as the sort of uh, bumbling bully characters here. Like I said, Zack is a dancer. Um, this is, it, feels like, it feels like the show, that, and I've heard this comparison before, but it feels like the ranger side of the show, when they're not in their suits, it just, it, that feels more like Saved by the Bell. Like It really feels like an early 90s kids show. Whereas the Rita stuff feels like a totally different show because she is from a totally different show. She's from the Super Sentai footage. So it makes it makes it feel very jarring watching it now uh, with the American footage and the Japanese footage. Uh, so as I was saying, the Rangers are really already, before they even get the power coins, they're good role models throughout. They're, they're, <coughs> excuse me, they're healthy, they're active, they're like really good, kind-hearted, they stand up for each other, they're really involved in their community. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, they, they're drinking spinach juice, for God's sake. Um, so it really, it's it's really interesting to see that they are, at this point, considered uh, to have attitude. One thing that I did really like is the way that Zordon responds to uh, requests that Alpha send over some overbearing and over-emotional humans. I thought that was, that was such a perfect way to describe teenagers, especially American teenagers, especially American teenagers in the early 90s. Who are basically on a <clears throat> who are on a kids TV show and are all stereotypes in their own way, so they're teleported to the command center. Kimberly, of course, being the Valley Girl type that she is, uh, uh, jokes about, "Oh, this is not exactly the mall," and I, uh, which made me roll my eyes to the back of my head. It's it's just like it's so funny to see the show. I, I keep saying this, but it's so funny to see this show now through twenty something years of life later and then uh kind of realizing how bad some of the writing is even though it is, it is it's still fun and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie there's still moments that i was i was genuinely invested in it um <clears throat> so zordon uh zordon explains that the powers were the zords are drawn from the different dinosaurs that were you know prevalent in the in the um 
millions of years ago when the first Rangers were born. Jason, of course, is the one who's most interested in this, wanting to be a hero, wanting to lead. And then uh, Alpha does his I, I, I. They decide, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And they walk out. Jason, of course, lingers a moment later, which is something that's echoed in the new movie, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, and I actually had pointed out to me from a, a YouTube video that I watched. Um, and I, I was, you know, I, I had, that had totally slipped by me. I didn't even realize about that. So Finster uh, gets that Monstermatic to make the Putty Patrol, which, uh, which to me were always kind of lame, regular villains. I mean, it's what they had to fight, and they would just kind of disappear or break apart. I forget what they would do. But they were always really weird. Uh, and, and the whole Rita, Rita herself is much sillier than I remember, which really puts into context Elizabeth Banks' performance in the new movie. <clears throat> and it's interesting how... The Rangers even here, at least with the stereotype happening, the stereotypes going on, when they are in the American footage, they do have very much their own style. Zack has sort of a dance fighting thing going on. Um, so when they're, when they're not suited up, they have very specific fighting styles. But then when they get to the Japanese footage, because it's not the same actors, um, it is very homogenized. Like the way they fight, the way they move is all super super over, over dramatic and total shift in tone. And doesn't and there's nothing really distinguishing of any of them except the colors on their outfits, basically. Uh, so the the effects, of course, here are terrible. But it's the early '90s. It's a kids' show. It's like, well, what do you expect them to do? They're not going to invest heavy money in this. They didn't really have. Some of you may remember that they did not have Game of Thrones money for any kind of TV show, let alone uh, a, a, a children's show. Basically, re reappropriating old footage on the cheap to make a profit on, which is initially how this was born. Of course, Power Rangers have become something much bigger than that since. Um, they, they suck at fighting putties at this point, but when they grab those morphers and they, they, they have that first time where they go, it's morphin' time, pterodactyl, triceratops, all that stuff. That was Tyrannosaurus. That was, still was thrilling for me. I mean, granted, I have 20-something years of experience with this franchise. Well, not all, not consistently, because I didn't really... I didn't really watch the subsequent versions. I think soon after they went from Power Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to Power Rangers Zeo is where I started to lose interest because it didn't really seem like it didn't really seem like the same show anymore because it wasn't. It was evolving into something else. And at that point I was in I was like 13, 14 and starting to be like, yeah, okay, this is not for me anymore. But that moment here, watching it now as a 33-year-old man, when they were old, Morphin Time was still really fun. Even though, yes, they all they kind of buy into the Ranger thing and, and Zordon and all this aliens that they're fighting and everything. They, they kind of buy into that really quickly. And there's really no introduction to Goldar, which is interesting. I, never, I, I had always forgotten that. I actually had sort of forgot that Goldar was the first villain that they fought. And Goldar actually becomes basically Rita's, like, first, you know, or like first like henchman basically her her right hand henchman for a lot of these first couples the first season or two of the show and he didn't really get an introduction he just sort of shows up and gets grow gets big and they fight and um watching it now it's when they when they do actually suit up it should have been obvious that they're all different actors because they all have very different body types i mean i don't even know in the original version of super sentai if uh, with who, which rangers were men, which were women, because you can't really tell in, in the, the, the way the suits hang on them. 
So it's it's interesting now watching the show, knowing that to try and piece together. Well, okay, they fit this together this way, and and this is how that footage is being used in a different way for American audiences. So basically, the reason I wanted to talk about Day of the Dumpster is this is essentially the same plot as the new movie. There is the uh, Rita Repulsa is is accidentally freed from basically uh, being. I don't know, frozen, locked away, whatever she is, doesn't matter. She's basically reawakened after thousands of years, decides to take on Earth. The Rangers, meanwhile, but get their power, and they fight Goldar. And they call with the, with the Zords and everything. So, basically, the day of the dumpster, if you make that with a $100 million budget, this is what we get, and that's the film that they just released. So, it's interesting to see that. The first episode here actually has very little action. Um... So you have all the stock footage that's used every single episode. The morphing is, of course, reused. A lot of the Zords, calling the Zords. It's just the same footage that you're just showing over and over and over. Not to mention, like I said, all the recycled stuff from Super Sentai. So it makes you wonder how much of these, like, how much of e in each episode of subsequent Power Rangers episodes, of that 22 minutes of footage, like, how much of that footage was actual, like, new footage that they made and not repeated footage or footage from before being used with a different voiceover track? Probably, I would say, I would venture to say less than 10 minutes. You have the couple scenes in the beginning with them not suited. They have a one fight before they morph. And then everything else is just kind of voiceover. Uh, so, it, it it's just, it's weird watching it now that they randomly know how to use the Zords. Which, again, is something that's sort of inherent in the story of the Power Rangers. In the new movie, they have the same same kind of thing. And I always thought it was cool as a kid how all the Zords combine into one control room where they all sit together and and kind of strategize what they're going to do with the fight. But watching the giant fight now is just it's just sad. It's so obviously too. I mean, I've never I've never been huge. I'm not really big into the old Godzilla movies or in the new Godzilla movies even um, or any of that kind of thing. I didn't really. You guys heard me talk about he uh, Kong Skull Island. Uh, a while ago on this podcast, a week or two ago, and I didn't really care for that. So I'm not really huge on these giant monster fights, uh, especially the ones in suits. But it, it's still fun from like a cheesy way, um, a cheesy perspective to see the Megazord. So clearly a guy in a suit fighting a monster. So clearly a guy in a suit and with these like cardboard buildings. And uh, on that on that front, it does still work. Um, but I can only imagine how silly it was for them to record these voiceovers. Like we need to hit him there, yeah. Um, it, it, it bet it was a real bonding thing for uh, Austin St. John and David Yost and uh, Amy Jo Johnson and all of them to record the show. It's interesting how they're, they really, I mean, you know, this is what they've become known for. They, uh, they are Power Rangers, just like Mark Hamill, no matter how many times he voices the Joker is, or whatever, whatever any else, he, whatever else he does with his time and his career, he's always going to be Luke Skywalker. So it's interesting to see, uh, to see how these characters, these actors, have become so intertwined in the minds of, of uh, fans worldwide. Um, I also noticed that it, there's a different voice for Goldar here in this first episode. It's a more serious voice than what we get later on, where he's like, Rita! He's more... I didn't do his voice very well, but you, you get the idea. Um, Zordon, of course, lays out at the end of the episode the three basic rules to be a Power Ranger. One, never use your power for personal gain. Two, Never escalate a battle unless you're forced to. And three, always keep your identity a secret. Which, I'm so glad I watched Day of the Dumpster before I saw the new movie because Brian Cranston as Zordon quotes those exact three rules, almost, I think, verbatim. 
So that was really uh, that was really that was really cool that they 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 referenced the TV show in that way. And of course, Kimberly has to follow the whole. Oh, are you guys in? Are you going to be superheroes? And Kimberly like not, which makes me. Oh, the '90s. What are you going to do? Humor. What a concept. Alpha says when that happens. And of course, they have a freeze frame because this is the '90s. Uh, but you know, regardless of all the the criticisms that I'm throwing at the effects and the writing and all that, like I said, there really is that mythology there, that base mythology that really resonates with kids then, with kids now, clearly because it's still rolling. And, uh, you know, that, I guess, still hits people in the nostalgia right there, where everything, I mean, look, this month alone, Beauty and the Beast from the 90s, well, this version from the 90s, Ghost in the Shell was an animated film, I mean, it's been manga and other things since then, but the original film version of that was in the 90s, and now, and Power Rangers in the 90s, it's just this is a very 90s heavy nostalgia, because all the people... Now that are having kids, getting married, having kids, growing up, millennials, I guess, are all, they all grew up in the 90s watching all this stuff and, and pretending that they were Power Rangers, just like I did. So it's interesting to see that, um, to see this then and how it's, how it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Plus, this show basically took something that was huge in Japan, took that whole took that the super sentai yeah that specifically but also took the giant monster the kaiju genre to american kids and and as someone whose parents never really exposed me to the godzilla movies or the king kong movies or that kind of that part of the culture that was brand new to me so i was like oh shit they they have these these zord they have these robots and then they morph and they and i wasn't really big into transformers i guess i should mention that too so it's it's interesting now that i was into power rangers but I wasn't into Transformers. I guess maybe I was a little too young when that was in its heyday. I don't know. But it took that concept and brought it into the States for ignorant kids like me could, could would eat it up and want to buy all the toys. And, of course, the Zords and everything changed every uh, changed every every year or so so that you'd have to buy the new toys. So it was really smart of them to, of, of Saban, to do that. And, you know, you have a, a po- whole population of kids over here to whom that whole kaiju world uh, still seemed novel. So that was a really smart, that was a really smart uh, business move. And going back and, and revisiting this episode was was really fun. Um, I will probably not watch the remaining three seasons on Netflix. However, based on the post credit scene in the new movie, there is a specific arc that I very much want to uh, want to revisit in preparation for the likely sequel that we're going to be getting so that's a perfect segue let's go right into my review slash discussion of power rangers 2017 you were born for this i will destroy everything she is pure evil It's morphin' time. Alright, so Power Rangers 2017. So first of all, let me let you know the format that we've been using for reviews the past few episodes. Uh, We're going to go into the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and then finally the verdict. So starting out with Power Rangers 2017, let's move into the hype. So in case you couldn't tell by now, 
Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is one of the cornerstones of my childhood. Um, I always say that it can be broken down really into three distinct eras. Masters of the Universe, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Of course, with 90s nostalgia, all the rage right now, it's really just a matter of time before a fresh take on Power Rangers hit theaters. Especially after that Power slash Rangers fan film that was released online just a couple years ago. So when it... When news broke that Dean Israelite of Project Almanac, which I still haven't seen because I heard a lot of mixed to negative things about it, when I heard that he was brought on to direct and we started seeing images of Elizabeth Banks, an actress who's, who I've always been a, a big fan of, and the Rangers Iron Man-esque suits, I'm not going to lie, it was an adjustment. I was a little bit uh, a little bit cautious uh, and hesitant about seeing uh, seeing the characters that I was such fans of as a kid, reimagined for a new generation, and, uh, and and sort of revisiting the origin story for the first time since the 90s. Um, but luckily, you know, unlike the 1995 film, which was the big screen version of the TV show with the same cast, Jason David Frank as a movie star, um, that was actually the centerpiece of my 12th birthday party. And that, which came out on my birthday, and it was a whole, it was a whole thing. I was, my whole 12th birthday was like, I was, I was obsessed with Power Rangers and making that, like, the whole crux of, of my birthday that year. Uh, unlike that film, which was based on the TV show, this is basically restarting the franchise, as I said, that has been ongoing since Day of the Dumpster back in 1993, uh, for the, for the first time. Even though the TV show and the TV series continues in various forms, this is the first time we're going back and seeing Jason, Kimberly, Zach, Trini, and Billy, uh, and and them discovering the power coins. Uh, so you know, with superhero films and nostalgia, both at seemingly peak popularity in Hollywood, question was, could Saban revamp the super cheesy TV series into the next blockbuster superhero franchise? Um, yeah, sort of. That brings us directly into the story. So, of course, we're going to be going into full spoilers when necessary here. So, um, it opens up, the film opens with a prologue, Rita and Zordon, and the Yellow Ranger is, well, Zordon's the Red Ranger, and, the, and Rita's the Green Ranger, and the Yellow Ranger's dying uh, near Zordon, which I thought was immediately, I know that uh, there's another reference in here because Becky G has a 1973 shirt, and I know that's a reference to the, the actress who originally played Trini, who has since passed away. So I thought opening the film with the Yellow Ranger dying when she has, in fact, is, is passed away in real life. It's the only one of the original cast to do so uh, since that's, since the original show aired, Day of the Dumpster, as I was talking about. Um, I thought that was probably another little subtle homage to that and uh, in tribute so i thought that was that was an interesting way to open the film and i thought the prologue was a fun reimagining that really uh makes the rivalry between rita and zordon uh more personal kind of deepens the mythology in that way and makes it um gives it more of a sense of history rather than oh I'm, I'm zordon and i'm here to put together the rangers and oh rita just so happens to be doing her thing trying to conquer earth so from there we move into the present day this time they really are teens with attitude um, it kicks off, Jason is a disgraced jock, thanks to a botched um, prank that he was involved in. Kimberly is a mean girl who went too far, and that involves this really sort of um, off-putting sexting subplot that I, I felt raises a lot of weird questions, <clears throat> and they, they really could have could have had another angle that would have been a little more appropriate for this property, but anyway, that's her deal. 
Uh, Zach is channeling his, his grief for his ailing mother into a sort of death wish hanging around this quarry. And Trini's processing her family's lack of acceptance with her sexuality. Of course, if you're a fam uh, Power Rangers fan of this, uh, uh, you probably heard the news story about the film being the first to feature an LGBT uh, superhero in a main role. So that was that was an interesting twist on on that character. <clears throat> and Billy is actually on the autism spectrum. He's an outcast at school and still dealing with the loss of his dad. So basically, they're all troubled in some way. And it really, this cast really rep represents the diversity that has been a part of Power Rangers from the beginning without having the sort of racist stereotype of like, oh, the black guy is, where's the black suit? The Asian lady, where's the yellow suit and things like that that are like uh questionable now it takes the you know brings a group of um characters with different genders with different sexuality with different issues and and uh ethnicities and and remixes them into a modern version of it and i thought that that was very successful um they're all really they're all really troubled in some way and they find strength in each other and you know intergalactic power coins that being said, the superhero side of things actually isn't even the best part of the film. It's the way in which the Rangers, who, as I mentioned earlier, were once stereotypes on the original show, at least with that first episode, they really come alive as characters with real problems, inner conflict, uh, home lives, that kind of thing. Whereas before, they were just sort of islands on their in their juice bar or at school or fighting monsters, pretty much. Um in this version, there's a real connection between them by the time they morph, and the film uses their superpowers, which now smartly extend beyond the suits, since, you know, the same actors are used throughout this time, and, um, and kind of adds a little, a dash of Chronicle, of course, people mentioned with the trailers, a dash of Spider-Man, with the fact that they wake up and they're, they're super powerful, uh, having survived a car crash that would have certainly killed them had they not had the power coins on them. Um, and it uses the superpowers as a kind of metaphor for, as cheesy as it sounds, the power of friendship. That by the end, they come to sort of Guardians of the Galaxy, and a little bit like that. They come together, and then they're able to channel their power, and in this case, morph. Um, that being said, there's still a lot of little off-color jokes that I felt were, uh, well, a few, a few off-color jokes that I thought were really kind of out of place and sort of sticking out like a sore thumb. Um, I would say the opening bull masturbation joke. Yeah, really. Um, that one I thought was really, uh, really weird and not funny in the moment. But then afterwards, you're like, ew, what? Um, but there's a lot of fun, fun moments and Easter eggs. You had Jason David Frank and Amy Jo Johnson cameoing. There was a Transformers reference. There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, fun moments, character moments, powerful moments with the characters. And um, a lot of, a lot of, Channeling the spirit of the original show, but um, but in a more modern, more grounded context, and and it really lays the foundation for stronger adventures to come. Now that we have already seen them get the power and become the the team that they are meant to be, that brings us, of course, to the cast. So a lot of what works about this film, as I was saying, with the way they set up the characters, is the cast: R.J. Siler, uh, Doc Ray. Montgomery, Naomi Scott, Ludi Lynn, Becky G, they're all outstanding in these roles, with really Siler, Montgomery, and Scott uh, probably taking the biggest focus. They're the ones we follow uh, from the very beginning of the film. They're the ones we sort of see in the school environment first before we, we see them uh, in, the, in the mine, I guess it is, 
where they end up finding the power coins. And they're the, the those five actors and their characters are really the heart of the film and the biggest reason why I feel really vindicated in defending it. With lesser actors, less delicate handling of the characters, this could have been another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2014. And that's a film that I enjoy as sort of a guilty pleasure, but not one that I would ever say is particularly good. Like, um, fans of Ninja Turtles, have, if, the, if they were to see the, those, those new movies and be like, this is bullshit, fuck those Michael Bay produced movies, I would have to be like, well, yeah, okay, I understand. But I still get enjoyment out of them, and I was worried that Power Rangers was going to be that same thing, but thanks to this cast, I feel, I feel, uh, I feel more justified in saying that this this is a, a solid film that actually does try and tell a story. So, Brian Cranston, of course, here, who vo had voiced a pair of villains on uh, Mighty Morphin back in the day, lends the same gravitas here that he brings to every all his projects as Zordon, who even in this version has his own motivation and, and therefore added depth, whereas before he was just a floating head uh, on a wall. Here, there's a really cool effect in which in which he can move uh, across the wall, but we also know a little more about about his backstory, what he wants to accomplish here, and he even makes a sacrifice throughout the film when he uh, brings Billy back and and sacrifices his one chance to uh, to return to life. Um, it it really well, everything that Cranston brings here really helps make this admittedly silly storyline work really uh, much better. Um, than it would have with a lesser actor with a less uh, charismatic presence. Bill Hader is fine as Alpha 5. He's definitely less, uh, way less annoying than he was on the show. He's still got the ay ay ay, but now it's not ay 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 ay. Now he's just like ay ay ay. More as like, yeah, more just like as a frustrated uncle, be like ay ay ay, what are you doing? Uh, but he plays his supporting part well here. Um, he's, uh, Alpha was never, obviously, a particularly interesting character in the original show. He was the most, he was basically the Jar Jar Binks of the original Power Rangers. Yeah, I said it. And, uh, here he's, uh, he's fine. He's, he, he does his job. And, um, you know, if we see more of him in the sequel, that's fine. If we don't, he's not the one that we're there to see anyway. So, uh, Elizabeth Banks is, of course, wonderfully over the top. In fact, to me, at times she feels like she's actually so far over the top that it felt jarring to the more grounded approach that we're getting with the Ranger story. In uh, that way, I guess it does perfectly mirror the show, though. Because as I said, Rita did feel like she was on another show completely uh, because she was with the footage. But also here, that, that sort of carries over in that... Elizabeth Banks is channeling a totally different tone than the rest of the film. And if that was an intentional stylistic choice, then it really worked. Um, although, personally, it did sort of take me out a little bit and bring down my enjoyment of what the what was actually happening with the Rangers when Elizabeth Banks is walking into a jewelry store and, like, swallowing gold so that she can summon Goldar. That was all a little goofy, and I could have done without the, like, Freddy Krueger-like scary elements of this, her character. It, it, it felt a little off for me. <clears throat> Moving into the production, again, I apologize for all the coughing. Like I said, I've been fighting a cold, and and it's just uh, by next week, my next episode. Thankfully, hopefully, I should be better. Um, moving into the production, the effects were all really solid and really effective throughout here. Effective, as you would think. Um, sure, there's some of the same problems that pl plague the Transformers. There's a kind of sameness that goes on with uh, with the Zords that that it's almost a little hard to tell what they're doing at times. But for the most part, I think they did have the camera far back enough 
the camera. I'm putting camera in quotes because this is all digital, uh, a lot of it. Um, that you could see what was happening and sort of get a feel for the layout of things rather than Transformers where they go super close and super quick cutting and you're just like, well, I don't even understand what's going on. Um, Goldar and the putties here are essentially faceless blobs. Um, but, you know, that's more of a design issue than a visual effects one. It's not a particular choice. It's not a choice that I particularly care for, um, but it's one that we're seeing more and more in blockbusters. Suicide Squad did that with their villains that the Enchantress was summoning there. And, uh, you know, I didn't really care for the way that though they were depicted, and we really only see them fight the putties. Well, holograms of putties, I think, once or twice. And then uh, in the suits, like one brief scene before they call the Zords. Hopefully we won't get that. They'll either do a redesign on the putties in sequels, or we will we'll just be able to skip the putty patrol altogether uh, because that that wasn't really they're not really they're not really the most challenging foes for the Power Rangers anyway. So I'd rather they go up against something a little bit more formidable. <clears throat> the score was appropriately moody in places, but for me, musically, it was that moment when the 1995 version of the theme song came come blaring out when they're running on their Zords and the same like. Um, two-dimensional shot of the Zords running. Uh, that was a really powerful moment for me. It reminded me a little bit of last year when the Ghostbusters theme slowed down with Kate McKinnon's hero moment. with the So I had a little bit of that here. It's just something really about seeing slash hearing a bit of my childhood come to life that, that is really indescribable. And it's it's a kind of magical movie moment that, um, that I... It's fun to experience in something like this. One thing that I definitely thought was distracting was, oh my god, let's talk about the Krispy Kreme briefly. The, I understand the need for product placement, but this was just so overbearing. And they said the name so many times in the third act where Elizabeth Banks is like, oh, we're going to the Krispy Kreme. And they stop for her to eat a donut. And, and Jason or one of the other rangers is like, we gotta go, she's almost at the Krispy Kreme. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, Stun, can you like tone down a little bit? It was, it was, I, I just wish that they didn't lean into it so heavily. I hope, I just hope Krispy Kreme put a lot of money into this production to, to, to warrant such repeated usage to the point. I mean, I was getting IHOP and Man of Steel flashbacks with this one. And, uh, you know, let's hope that now that this film is doing well and, and will presumably do well enough to warrant a sequel, that they won't have to do that as much next time and then that we don't have to have Rita going back to the Krispy Kreme again because man that was that was a little it was a little much and uh, I guess you could sort of lean into it be like all right I guess this is we're gonna be cheesy with it let's go to the Krispy Kreme but it uh, it was a little distracting for me so let's go into the verdict so all in all I, I thought this was a really fun movie I was as I said with Ninja Turtles I was worried this was gonna be that kind of movie where I would come out and be like <sighs> Yeah, it's not very good, but it's Power Rangers, and 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 I didn't feel that at all. Actually, I thought this, I felt that okay, I felt that somewhat, but I didn't feel that as much as I thought I would. Uh, thanks to the cast, the way they approached this, the way that they took their time with the origin of these superheroes, just like uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in two thousand two, just like Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins in two thousand five, and I'm not gonna say that those that this is this movie is uh, Power Rangers up to the level of those films, not at all. But uh, I think that was a smart narrative choice to pace their origin over the course of the film. Even though it does make certain parts of the middle act feel a little bit slow, 
uh, I think ultimately when it when they do morph, when they do get the Zords, when they do suit up, I think it makes it more worth it. And uh, and, and you know if if they do what they're planning, which apparently is a six movie plan that Saban has in mind here, we'll have plenty of times to see plenty of time to see them in their suits, to see them in the Zords, to see them fighting all kinds of monsters, whatever Rita and Lord Zed, hopefully, please, fingers crossed for Lord Zed. I thought he was super awesome as a uh, as a kid, so I would love to see him in here. And, of course, everybody knows we got that Tommy Oliver, Bueller, uh, Ferris Bueller-style shout-out here in the post-credits scene where he does not show up for detention. And uh, I thought the fact that they, they made the post-credits scene a Ferris Bueller's Day Out uh, sort of homage really was in keeping with the John Hughes style of this film. It did sort of feel like if John Hughes was going to do a superhero movie, this would kind of, this is pretty close to what that would be, because we have the Breakfast Club, uh, the Breakfast Club sort of um, opening act, and then the Bueller tag at the end, and I, I thought that was a really interesting way to uh, to to approach Power Rangers, something that's this cheesy Saved by the Bell meets you know, giant monsters, uh, TV show from the nineties. And I thought they found a way to make it modern, but still true to the original enough that it's recognizable, but not so far that it becomes ridiculous. Again, they kind of towed that, that line between being silly and, and being serious. And maybe this movie go like, doesn't hit that middle ground as well as it should. It sort of shifts back and forth rather than landing squarely in the middle. But, uh, I mean, this is also the first time they've done this, and considering how bad this film could have been, if you want to see a crappy Power Rangers movie, watch the 95 one, which, even though I, I guess, like I said, that was my whole 12th birthday was about that film. I've watched it recently. I made Kai watch it. It's not particularly good. It's really cheesy and really ridiculous and really poorly made in a lot of ways. I enjoy it from a guilty pleasure standpoint, like I said, but uh, but it's not a good film. And I feel like this one, this is Power Rangers that I would maybe show maybe show my daughter. This is the Power Rangers that, that I feel like uh, I can legitimately recommend to someone that didn't really care for the original show or that stuff. Or went back and watched it and was like, what a piece of crap. This one might might bring it bring it into adulthood for them in a way. Um, I do think the movie is probably a little bit too dark for like small, small kids, but for people our age who grew up with this stuff, um, it, it, I think it's, it's definitely a, a, a go. And, um, you know, if they're planning five more of these, I say bring it on and, uh, go, go Power Rangers. So that'll be all for my discussion of Power Rangers, the TV show and the new movie. I hope you enjoyed that. For next week, I'm trying to keep to the weekly posting uh, schedule here. Next week, I'm I'm planning something sort of a little a little different. Uh, but I could mention it now. But let's see, plans change, so I won't I won't jinx it. Uh, I have had a lot of schedule changes in my life as of recently, so I'll just let you guys sit for that one. Uh, sit on that one for next week. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Crooked Table. Find Crooked Table on Facebook. Find us on uh, find me on Instagram. Find us on uh, Tumblr. Let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know what you think or what you thought of Power Rangers. Rather, the new movie. Does it live up to the show? Is it a major disappointment? 
And what other shows from your childhood you would you like to see adapted to uh, adapted to the big screen next? Shoot me uh, shoot me a tweet over at Crooked Table. Let me know what you think of that. Until next time, roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.